Welcome back to After the Buzzer Sports Talk, and I'm your host, Aiden Mayer. Alright guys, welcome back for another episode. Sorry for no episode yesterday, it's just been like a long, tough week to say the least. Uh, but we're back here today with another episode, and first we're going to be talking about the MLB trade deadline, mostly for the uh, Red Sox. We're going to touch up on, you know, what the Astros did with Zach Greinke there. Kind of, you know, the bigger teams. You know, the Yankees pretty much standing pat. The Dodgers. Um, and then you had the Mets as well making some big moves. Not making some big moves that we thought maybe they'd make. And then we're going to touch up on the Red Sox game last night. Uh, and kind of how that, you know, correlated with the MLB trade deadline, and then I'm going to share my top 25 player prediction for 2024 in the NBA. Um, if you know Bleacher Report did one of these back in 2015 where they predicted the top 20 players um, by 2020, and their list is horrible. I'll read it off to you when we get to that segment, but for now, we are going to start with the MLB trade deadline, so let's get to that. Okay, so the Red Sox stood pat at the deadline. A few weeks ago, they made the Andrew Kashner move, one of the first moves uh, made in a while, you know, in the MLB. One of the first moves, really, of the deadline, like a month of July, kind of just all in the deadline. The deadline's mostly just this week, obviously, but one of the first moves of July made. And most of us, including myself, said, I'd be a little mad if this was the only move they made. And mostly I'd be mad just just to see them only make this move because that means they're not buying or selling. They're just staying put. And Andrew Kashner was a nice little move. He has not pitched well so far. He's really just a loser. Big loser. But it was a nice little move at the time. But it wasn't enough. Our bullpen was still horrible. Chris Sale and Rick Porcello couldn't pitch at all. Now David Price has joined. Since the Dennis Eckersley, since he brought that back up, he hasn't been able to pitch. At the time, he was doing okay, but he's not doing well anymore. And the bats had always been solid, but, you know, they were always solid, but it seemed like most of them were still just underachieving at the same time. And yesterday, the Red Sox decided, we're going to stand pat. And Dave Dombrowski discussed this this morning in an interview with WEI. And he, there's one main paragraph I want to get to here. I'm not going to read the whole interview and all that, but I'm going to say, you know, Dave Dombrowski here basically explained why he didn't make any moves at the deadline in this interview. And there's one paragraph that I want to get to. Dombrowski said, I think if we were closer to first place, I would have been more open-minded to some of the other things. Dombrowski said, when I say that, the club needs here needs to play better on a consistent basis. That's what, the way I look at it. We like our club. We've liked it all year long. We're sitting, what, 10 games above 500? There's a lot of great things about it. We've had a great week last week, but we still need to do it on a more consistent basis, which we have, haven't reached that point to give up premium young players for a guy that was going to fill a certain role for us where we are now. He basically just told us, listen, one, our team is inconsistent, okay? I think we all figured that one out. You know, this team has been consistent at being inconsistent. I've said it all. If you followed this podcast in my Red Sox, 
takes. Whenever I talk about the Red Sox, I have said, I don't know if they're turning a corner after a series or two because the next series, they're going to fall straight on their face. And so far, what do you know? After that Yankee series, 0-2 against the Rays so far. So, I, you know, take that for what it's worth. I've said it all year long. They're inconsistent. And then the bigger part, he basically just told us, I don't feel like this team is worth investing in. And I don't think he means that like that bad. Like, I just don't think this seems, you know, good enough to really invest in. Obviously, he made the Andrew Kashner move, so he did something. But that that's it. He didn't really want to go strong. Like, Edwin Diaz, he would have given Bobby Dahlbeck and probably more. So that's a real investment. Andrew Kasher, you gave up, what, two, you know, little minor league players? Nothing big. So that was a very small investment. And you said, yeah, we'll help you guys out a little bit. It's not really going to do a whole lot, but hopefully it can help us, you know, win one or two more games. You know, just that type of stuff. But that, that was the key paragraph for me. And... He has $240 million to work with here, too. He's the highest payroll in the MLB. So it's not like he's working against tight budget here. And I get it that they have a lot of big contracts. I don't want, I don't mean tight budget because they have a lot of big contracts. Chris Sale, uh, Mookie Betts, Xander Bogarts. Mookie Betts will be making even more if they decide to sign him back. J.D. Martinez, David Price is on no small deal. Rick Porcello. So they have a lot of big deals. And I do think they are working against the budget a little bit. But you still have the highest payroll in the MLB. It's not like, well, you know, our payroll. I No, that was not it at all. He just feels this team isn't worth investing in. But my problem with that, Dave Dombrowski, is if it's not worth investing in, why weren't we selling? If you're just going to say, you know, it's not worth investing in, hopefully, you know, we squeak into it. Even you know, it's not worth investing in, so we're just going to settle for seventh or eighth place. Maybe we can squeak into the wild card. That that can't be your mentality. That's what I talk about. I especially have said it in the NBA. You can't just sit stuck in the middle. You can't do it, especially with this amount of talent. You Your future, okay, you've got guys like Alexander Bogarts, Raphael Devers. I get it. You have somewhat of a future here. But you have the talent right now to win. So either you're going to use that talent, utilize it, or you're going to sell it. You can't just have the talent, but then just settle for 7th or 8th place. Either sell it, or add on to it. And here's my thing with Dave Dombrowski also. I don't blame him for wanting to make the big move. Now, when I said they should get Edwin Diaz, I had a few people tell me, why get Edwin Diaz? This team's not worth investing in. And I said, you have a point, but Edwin Diaz is under contract for the next three years, and he's only 25 years old. So he sets you up for the future as well. That's why I loved Edwin Diaz. If he's on a one-year deal, maybe we'll talk about the whole, it's not worth the investment. But he helps you now and for the future. So that's the thing. People say, no, 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 I don't want to give up a big-time prospect. It's not worth investing in. Edwin Diaz is under contract for the next three years at 25 years old. 25 years old. He just made the All-Star game last year. I know he struggled this year, but please. That one's an exception. So I don't like when people just tell me, yeah, well, it's not worth the investment. Look in, look into it before you start debating with me. He's on a three-year deal at 25 years old. But at the same time, I, I blame it on the players here. Dave Dombrowski deserves some blame here because look at the way he set up the roster at the beginning of the year. Now, I think Dave Dombrowski could have done a better job at the trade deadline, at least trying to sell a piece at least, start to get into that selling process, or you buy. 
you're either buyers or sellers. Choose one. And maybe Dave Dombrowski was at that point where he's just like, there were no, you know, my phone was blown up, but there were no real big deals. And I'm just hoping, you know what, I didn't want to sell right now. I want to give, I want to let this team play things out. And then we'll start selling at the offseason. But, you know, maybe we end up making a deep run and then I change my mind. I just don't think I was ready to make that decision. If that's what was up, I can accept it. But I'm still not happy with what Dave Dombrowski did, especially at the beginning of the season. You just came off a World Series win. Okay, so let's go get the next one. You know you have the talent to win a World Series. You just did it. So then you let Craig Kimbrell walk, one of the best closers in the game, and Joe Kelly, who I'm glad you let Joe Kelly walk because I think he was getting seven mil a year. And I wasn't, I didn't, even with our big payroll, we still have a lot of players on bigger contracts. I, I was okay with letting Joe Kelly go. Okay, I thought he did good in the World Series, the playoffs, but a lot, you know, so did Steve Pierce. But Craig Kimbrell letting him walk, all right, now you got to fill in the shoes. And instead, he made one addition to the bullpen, and it was Colton Brewer, and he called up Marcus Walden. That's what he did. He said, you know what? We lost Joe Kelly. We we lost Joe uh, Craig Kimbrell. And I know we have the talent to win a World Series. We just did. So we're going to bring in Colton Brewer. We're going to call up Marcus Walden, the 30-year-old rookie from the minor leagues. That's when you know he's good. He's a 30-year-old rookie. And... We're just going to play musical chairs here. We're not going to announce any of these guys' roles. You know, no one has an announced role here. That you know, you don't know. It's a mystery. You know, hey, Dave or hey, Alex. What what's my what's my role? It's a surprise. Okay, it's a surprise. You're going to find out. You're going to you'll you'll start to find out within the first 15 games, but it might change then again. I'm not going to let you know. It's going to be a surprise. Okay. It doesn't work. You can't do that. You can't not tell your bullpen what each of their roles are going to be and then expect them to go out and do well, especially, you know, none of those guys are closers. So they're all relievers, right? So you have these group of relievers just, you know, all right, I'm a reliever. What type of role am I going to play? Am I going to be the seventh inning guy, eighth inning guy, the backup seventh inning guy? What am I going to be? Oh, it's a mystery. One week, it, it, you know, we're not going to announce the rule. One week, you're going to be the seventh inning guy. The next week, you might hop over to the closer. And then we might bring you back to the seventh inning guy for a few more weeks. You might take over the eighth inning. Might do some more closer back at the end of the year. That's not how it works. These guys have to have set roles. And if an injury happens or someone struggles and you have to move the roles every once in a while and tweak at things, that's fine. Especially when you tell the players. But when they're consistently moving around, these guys don't have a role. It's just a night-to-night thing. We're just going to see what's the consensus vote here. Uh, Colton Brewer's going to close out the game today? Like, you don't have a set closer. I mean, we have, you know, none of them are doing good either. It's not like we're just going to try each one of these guys out. If you do with that, if you go with that method too, especially on this Red Sox team, let's say the Red Sox played a little better, okay? Let's say Chris Sale, Rick Porcello, David Price, they were pitching a little better. The bats, you know, Mookie Betts stepped up a little bit, J.D. Martinez, and the bats became a little better. And right now, the standings, let me take a quick uh, peek at the standings. You are 59 and 50. Maybe, let's say, you're sitting at at least 64, 65 wins. And Dave Dombrowski, like, you were on pace for that. You, you You were having a little bit better of a year in the first 25 games. 
but your closer was struggling, and you, you dipped your toes in with every guy, no one was really working. Then you make the move. But I think Dave Dombrowski's sitting here saying, you know what, do we need a closer? Yes. But it's not worth the investment. This team is just not worth the investment. And were the players happy with that? No. Some players were worth the investment, like, it's, you know, with their effort. Like, Bogarts, Devers, Vasquez, they've had great years. They've actually cared. And I think a few more guys have cared, like J.D. Martinez. I think he's cared, but he hasn't played well. I mean, Vasquez, Devers, and Bogarts really only seem to be the three guys that have actually played well and seem to care. And maybe Michael Chavis... I think, you know, just because he's a triple-A guy, I think he's cooled off a lot, but he's at least stepped up, seemed to care somewhat, I, you know, I'd assume. But I just look at the, the, you know, some of these guys and I say, do they care? And they're not even playing well. Like, Mookie Betts has not only underachieved this season, but I don't think he cares. And I think if the Red Sox, the Red Sox are going to keep him, try to keep Mookie Betts at least because that's Dave Dombrowski's guy, you know, but... I seriously think about selling Mookie Betts in this offseason. I seriously consider it because this is a guy who I just don't think wants to be here. I think he thinks he's worth Mike Trout's money. And I don't want a guy that doesn't want to be here, thinks he's worth Mike Trout's money, and then goes out there and underachieves. Just like that kind of combination. I don't want to pay Mookie Betts, you know, 90%, 85% of Mike Trout's contract, especially if he doesn't want to be here, okay? So that's my problem. Like, when when you pay a guy even 90% of Mike Trout's contract, even 80 70%, I mean, maybe not 90 85%, you better hope that guy plays well throughout that contract because if he doesn't, oh, God, that is not, that's not good. That is not good at all. I just don't think Betts wants to be here. And I think you could really get some good value out of him on the market. And he'll have one year left on his deal by then. So if you wait to the deadline, you know, wait to play things out, his value just keeps decreasing and decreasing. If you traded him at the deadline right now, opposed to this offseason, you'd probably get a little more at this deadline. I don't blame him for not making the move because Dombrowski is a guy who loves Mookie Betts and is probably going to want to convince him to stay and maybe see how things go. Even though we didn't make a move, we'll see how things go. But I really blame the players. They played, they've underachieved. I blame the players. I Don't get me wrong, Dave Dombrowski deserves some shame here too. Alex Cora. I mean, Cora, you know, when you're the manager of an underachieving team, you deserve some blame. Like, what's going on here? Alex Cora, you know, he's supposed to manage those egos, kind of lighten those guys up, and he hasn't. I mean, they went into the season with that laid-back mentality. Like, you know what? We just rolled through 108 wins last season, World Series champs. Let's take it easy at the beginning of the year. You know, we're coming off a World Series victory. We can clearly roll through the league. I was okay with that at the beginning of the year, the very beginning of the year to kind of take it a little easy. We might fall back a little, but we have a lot of talent. We've proven we can, you know, do this. We're not going to win 108 games again, but, you know, we'll take it easy, save our energy, and then, you know, put the ga- put the uh, foot on the gas when it's necessary. They should have put the foot on the gas months ago. I mean, when we, when you, you were sitting here, all of a sudden, you know, I don't know, May, June, and we still don't have the foot on the gas. Like, all right, we're starting to fall back, guys. Let's start to put, put the foot on the gas. Now, all of a sudden, it's July. We are out. We're not even in the playoffs, and it's July. 
the foot has still not been put on the gas. And now we're in August. The foot is not put on the gas. So these guys just came in here coming off this World Series victory and said, we're going to play it laid back at first. And they just kept that mentality throughout. I blame Alex Cora for some of that. He had a great year last season. He's been so disappointing this season. It's that simple to say. I mean, last year he was good, and he really got to the guys. I think he did a good job, especially with that, and really got to them and, you know, brought the best out of them. This year he hasn't. If the, if the guys are not bringing their best, then I blame some of that on the manager for sure. And then the players, I mean, you need to play better. The players are probably, you know, mad that they didn't get that, you know, piece that they wanted. They, you know, they couldn't get that closer, but that's on you guys. Dave Dombrowski sat there and said, you guys were not worth investing in, okay? So when the, you know, the general manager sits there and you say, well, well, we want a piece. And he says, well, you guys haven't earned it. It's like the spoiled kid, you know? He hasn't behaved at all. The 10, you know, the 10-year-old spoiled brat you know you walk into the ice cream shop well you're driving down the street he's been a brat all day and he says mom can we get some ice cream no you know you you've been a brat all day you know you don't deserve it and then he starts crying about it you don't you know I'm not saying you know I guess that's the best analogy I can come off with the top of my head but that's kind of if you got what I'm saying like it you know you, you don't deserve it the general manager doesn't see you guys is worth investing in because you guys haven't played well it's that simple if you don't play well what's the point of investing in you know you had to prove it and then last night you went out there and proved Dave Dombrowski right for not making a move I think Dave Dombrowski deserves some shame especially for the way he built this roster at the beginning of the season what he did with the bullpen that was a horrible game plan but I am mad at least get like a Shane Green or maybe you know, a Sam Dyson, for goodness sake, 30-year-old, 31-year-olds that were traded for some measle minor prospects. I look at it like Shane Green has had an all-star year this year. He made the all-star game. He was on the Detroit Tigers, and he was traded to the Atlanta Braves, I do believe. Um, So I look at that like you could have got a you could have literally got an all-star talent for measle minor league prospects or, you know, maybe someone on someone in your like Josh Taylor or uh, Ryan Weber, Weber, whatever it is. You know, you probably could have got one of them traded him for Shane Green. Maybe you would have give up a little more because Shane Green may be an all-star, you know, 30-year-old, but he is an all-star talent. I mean, he, he's, he was bad last year. Four and six, he had a 5.12 ERA. But this season, he's 1.18 ERA. He's having a career year this year, including 22 saves. So he's a guy who can not only be, you know, a a setup guy, but he can close out games too, and he's had an all-star type year. Like, listen, if Shane Dream comes in here and pitches that way, like next season, if he all of a sudden has like a 3-4 ERA, I wouldn't be shocked. But at least you get him for this year. Like, it was a low price. I know you don't want to invest in this team because you think it's too much, but that was not a big investment the Braves made for a great pitcher. And then there's Sam Dyson, who has been had a career year, to say the least, with the Giants. I mean, you could argue he's had a few better years, but this is might just be his best year. He's at a 2.47 ERA. He's 4-1 with the Giants. 
uh, 51 innings pitched, and he's got two saves. So he's a guy who doesn't come in in many closing situations, but from what I've heard, I don't know too much about him, but from what I've heard, he's done great in high-pressure situations. He's a setup guy in the eighth inning. Um and he can come in and close some games every once in a while. I'm sure, you know, if a guy that can come in, and, yeah, he can come and save games every once in a while. You know what? I'll take it, honestly, at this point. And you're probably saying, hey, it's not a closer. Dave Dombrowski even said it. This, this bullpen also needs some depth. They do badly. They need depth. So whether it's Sam Dyson or Shane Green, you're getting a depth piece. Both, you know, Shane Green can close. I, I'd rather have Shane Green just because he's pitched – you know, Sam Dyson's been great this year and he's been better under, you know, higher pressure situations. Cause you know, when you're on the Tigers, you're not really going to pitch too much high pressure situation. So at least I know I'm getting a guy who can pitch in these high pressure situations, but at least Shane Green can close out games. And I just, I'd rather have Shane Green. I think he's still had a better year than Dyson, although Dyson's been good, but you know, still, I think that's, you know, even just sit there like Dombrowski, I know you didn't want to invest in the team, but that's a small investment. That's Andrew Kashner right there. Like, I know you don't want to make a big investment, but a small one like that, why not? Why not? And I know you don't want to also, you don't want to hurt the farm system. The farm system's already thin. And I know you've already got Raphael Devers and you've got, what's his name, Casas. I don't know many of the minor league prospects, but I do know you have a lot of third basemen. You've got your, Devers isn't a prospect, but Devers seems like your future third baseman if you're willing to hold on to him, which I think they are because uh, Kennedy, I think it's the president of the team, said for the past two or three years, we've got multiple phone calls for Raphael Devers. So they're obviously interested in him. He's played great this year. He seems like your future third baseman. Then you've got the Casas kid. I'm not, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. And then you have Bobby Dahlbeck. So you've got like three good third baseman prospects. So I, wouldn't mind trading one of them, but at the same time, I know, you know, the farm system's already so thin. And I would like to bolster it up a little. You know, and Mookie Betts, I would not mind trading Mookie Betts. If Betts can get us maybe a reliable uh, right fielder to replace him and maybe, you know, bolster up the farm system a little bit. So maybe we have prospects for the future to either trade or maybe hang on to one of them and hope he is your next Mookie Betts or at least maybe a Jackie Bradley Jr. who you brought all the way through the minors. So that, you know, also I look at it, the Yankees basically stood pat. But I think the Yankees sit there and they're like, we're 68 and 39. We're seven and a half games above the Rays. We're 10 games out of the Red Sox. The Red Sox have to face it. They're not going to beat the Yankees. I think the Rays have to pretty much face it. You're not beating up the Yankees. But the Yankees can't just look at it like, oh, we have the division. What about playoffs? Okay, what about playoffs? Like, this is an Astros team all of a sudden now who not only had a better record than you, uh, well, you had the better percentage. They had more wins than you. Uh, they're 69 and 40 or 68 and 39. So you had slightly the better percentage. But now with Zach Greinke, the Astros might be better than you. It was close. I mean, you looked at it. Your bullpen was probably a little better than the Astros. The bats are close, I think, with the Astros and the Yankees. But their starting pitching was already better than yours. Now they just added Zach Greinke. I mean, this Astros team has been aggressive at the deadline. They got Justin Verlander a few years ago. Then last season, they got Jarrett Cole. And then at the buzzer, um, they get Zach Greinke this season. So the Astros might have made probably made themselves the favorites in the AL. And the Yankees didn't do Like, if I'm a Yankees fan, I'm a little mad right now. Like, we're, we're having a great year. I know we have the division in locks, but 
playoff time's different. You know, we're not going to have to play in that wild card game where we're going to need a guy like Zach Greinke. But still, they're starting pitch. Like, their bullpen's great. And despite injuries, their hitting is still hold- held up and it's been solid. But the starting pitching's horrible. Oh my God, it's bad over there. It's pretty bad. And then the Rays made some moves. They traded that Kolarak guy that I was talking about, the first baseman slash pitcher. So they made some moves. I wouldn't say the Rays made a whole lot of big moves. But they made more than you and the Yankees did. And you have to be worried about the Rays. I'm not worried about the Yankees at this point. And I I am in a sense that we're going to have to face them a lot. So I hope that, you know, I'm kind of glad that they didn't make a move just so that their way they're a bit easier in the future. And we kind of need every game at this point. I'm more worried about the Rays, the Indians, the Athletics, even the Angels. I told you, like, the Angels, the Satellis Gags thing makes me think they can make a comeback. They're 5-5 and in their last 10, which isn't amazing. But I say they're still in contention. I don't know if it'll happen, but... They're still there. Okay, so you've got teams right there. And guess what? The Rays, they made a move. The Indians, they made moves. The Athletics, they made moves. So all these teams are making moves. And you made the Andrew Kashner trade a while. What has Kashner done for you? Nothing. He's been bad. He's been bad. So I just look at this Red Sox team just disappointed all over. Dombrowski, I under I think he's, you know, deserved it a little, you know, a little too much heat, not deserved it, but he's got a little too much heat. You have to sit back and realize was this team really worth investing in? I blame the players and Alex Cora before I blame Dombrowski, but Dombrowski still not, has not done a good job. I think he could have at least got something, at least a smaller investment, and he should have done a much better uh, job constructing this roster at the beginning of the season. So what do you guys think, Anchor Mobile App? Anything, uh, Red Sox are on the table, any teams that you want to talk about in the MLB trade deadline, anything in sports that you want to get to, whether, you know, maybe it's the next segment I'm going to get to uh, with my top 25 NBA players in 2024. So that's what we're going to be getting to now. So let's get to that. Okay, so maybe some of you know, maybe you don't. Back on specifically April 14th, 2015, Bleacher Reports writer Josh Martin made a, you know, post, if that's what you want to call it, NBA 2020, predicting the league's top 20 stars in 2020. That's a lot of 20s. Um, And it's been a topic for the past, I want to say eight months or so. You know, when the, the, you know, we got into a little bit last, you know, when the season started, maybe around November, I'd say people started to take a look at this list. And as the year went on and on, more and more people really started looking back at this because, you know, people probably looked at it in 2015 and then no one really paid attention to it. And then people were like, oh yeah, there was this list. Let's go check how it went. And let me tell you, I'm going to, you know, quickly go over this list for a few minutes and we're going to you know, talk about the bad. There were a few good predictions on here that I give them credit for, like, you, you, you almost nailed that one. But there also came with pictures on the team that they predict that that player will be uh, on by 2020. So, basically, they predict what, you know, team that player will be on. And basically, by 2020, they mean by the beginning of next season. So, technically, this list isn't over, but... Because, you know, it's technically the players starting by the 2020 season. But we can kind of assume. You get the point. We're going to, you know, assume that they don't get traded or anything. Or they don't all of a sudden come out of nowhere. You know, disappointing in a disappointing way or a surprising way. You get the point. It's basically a 2020 season. So, 
here's this list. This is basically what I did, except tack on five players. for Right now it's 2019, so it will be for 2024. At number 20, Jalen Brown. This was when he was back in high school. Jalen Brown, small forward at Wheeler High School. So I give him credit for the fact that he predicted Jalen Brown would be arguably the best player in his draft class, which you know was debatable. But most people at the time viewed Jalen Brown as like the 12th best prospect in 2015. So I don't – Jalen Brown in the top 20 is ridiculous for right now. Jalen Brown isn't even, you know – Maybe not even a top three player on the Celtics right now. Yeah, I wouldn't say so. It's it's close. He could do very well this year and prove that, but no. And the Celtics have one player in the top 20 uh, right now, and that's Kemba Walker. But they predicted he'd be on the Philadelphia 76ers, which isn't horrible. The 76ers are one of the top picks in the draft. That prediction is not horrible compared to some of the predictions on this list. Because, it, you know, Jalen Brown showed potential. And considering the fact that that was a hard prediction to actually figure out that he'd actually work out. And the Sixers kind of made sense at the time. Overall, not a great prediction. But compared to some of them, like this next one is one of the funniest on this. Number 19, Dragon Bender. <laughs> uh, this was before... Dragon Bender was in the NBA, uh, and they predicted he'd go to Brooklyn, so they couldn't even get the team right. Um, and this was back when he was 17. And I just want to see what they wrote, because this is what people thought of Dragon Bender back in 2015. He'll be a top 20 player, and they said, The natural nickname, the Dragon Bender, is nice, but it's Bender's game that truly stands out. Like, those two points per game, they they really do like the kids. The, the, those two points per game that he contributes, I think is one point eight. Actually, my bad. The Croatian teenager has the tools to be a fantastic all around player. A six eleven build, a solid jump shot, a strong feel for the game, good footwork in the low post, and be a pre preacher natural ability to deliver pinpoint passes. And then he's just like, what Bender needs more than anything is time. So, maybe we just have to give him more time, okay? Dragon Bender will be an all-star before you know it. Uh, no. Th- that, that was a horrible prediction. Dragon Bender at the time did not seem like a bad player, but when he entered the Phoenix Suns, things went downhill. I doubt he'll ever turn things around. Maybe it was just him being in Phoenix. Players don't really develop that greatly there, but then again, look at Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton. But De- De- Dragon Bender was someone who really needed a good development system, and I don't really think that's where he should have been. But nonetheless, that is a horrible prediction, and they couldn't even get the team right either. Number 18, things just stay ugly. Jaleel Okafor, and they predicted he'd go to the Knicks. Um, he-, he never played for the Knicks. He drafted by the Sixers. He played, I think he played with the Nets, and then he, yes, I think he, he went to the Sixers, then he went to the Nets, what, no, that was, that was another guy, yeah, Sixers, Nets, and now he's on the Pelicans, and there was a little stretch of time where people were like, is Jaleel Okafor turning things around? Somewhat, he did get a little better, and he's a reliable rotational piece, ninth or tenth man. So, this is a horrible prediction, and he never played for the Knicks either. And the thing is, he's going to be 20, 
24 by the start of the season, which is still young. And I think he'll be able to at least be a rotational piece, but he's just a horrible defender. He's just a good low block scorer. This is just another horrible prediction. I wouldn't say he's bad as Dragon Bender, but it's still it's pretty bad. So far, Jalen Brown at number 20 has been the best prediction on the 76ers, yes. Then number 17, this one isn't horrible, but it's still pretty bad. DeAndre Jordan of the Los Angeles Clippers. He's going to turn 31. They predicted to be the 17th best player. Still on the Clippers. It turns out he went to the Mavericks. Now he's on the Knicks. Now he's on the Nets. So, no, he didn't stay with the Clippers. He went to three Yeah, three more teams. So, that, that that's a little ugly. But, no, not a very good prediction at all. Uh, but... He was good then. I, 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 even back then, I wouldn't even consider him a top twenty player. By now, I kind of, you could kind of tell the decline. Number sixteen, John Wall of the Washington Wizards. Now, this one is not bad. Let me tell you why. John Wall is not a top, even a top twenty-five player at this point. I'll, I'm gonna come out with my top twenty-five players in the NBA currently list, and I'll tell you right now. Hate to break it to you, John Wall's not on it because of his health. If John Wall stays healthy, this is actually a great prediction. He's still on the Wizards, too. They finally got a team right, um, which is good to see. But John Wall, at the time, that was a fair prediction. And it still would be if he stayed healthy. That's that's tough to predict. Injuries, that's one I tried to predict on my list, which I'll share in a minute. But, all right, let me try to go a little quicker through this thing. But that was a fair prediction. That one I can't give him too much blame on. Bradley Beal, the Washington Wizards, still on the Wizards. That one is spot on. I have Bradley Beal right around 15 on my list. That prediction is basically spot on because they got the team in the the spot. Uh, I don't want to tell you if it's a little too high, a little too low, but that's basically spot on. That was five years ago. That's pretty impressive. I'll tell you that. Number 14, Andre Drummond on the New York Knicks. I don't know how you predict he's going to go to the Knicks. Uh, it says right here, yeah, he's currently on the Detroit Pistons, but then they always show a picture that they edited, like a what team they think they'll be on to. I didn't do that on my list. That's just too much. But he's not on the Knicks. He's not a top 25 player. He's a top 50 player. I'll give you that. Maybe top 40. But and he's a great rebounder, probably the best in the game, but his game's just too stagnant. He's not a top uh, even 15 player. Don't even get me started with that. Not a horrible prediction considering some of the other ones, but it's still pretty bad. Number 13, Carl Anthony Towns, still on the Wolves. That's not a horrible prediction. Carl uh, Anthony Towns, that's – I'll give it to you a little too high. Yeah, I bet you guys were like, yeah, you don't have that high. But you got the team right. You predict he'd be a top 20 NBA player. You're just about correct. I, I forget if I had him right outside the top 20 or right inside it, but that's not a horrible prediction. It's a little too high, but not horrible. Number 12, Clay Thompson of the Warriors. This prediction is pretty spot on. Uh, kind of like the Bradley Beal one, a little too high or a little too low, I won't share, but you got the team right. It's right around the area he should be. That's actually a very good prediction. Number 11, Giannis Antetokounmpo um, of the Bucks. So they have him on the Bucks, but that, uh, you know, no, no. Uh, he's the former uh, MVP. He's the top five player in the league. Uh, maybe if you still think he hasn't cracked the top five, I don't know if anyone really thinks that. But so that one, you know, that's definitely too low, but at least they recognize, yeah, he's a top 20 player of the future. So that one was, eh. Number 10, James Harden of the Houston Rockets. They still have him on Houston, which is good, but still. Kind of like Giannis, at least you could recognize he's going to be a top 20 player, but he should be higher. Uh, Then at number 9, we got Paul George 
of the Indiana Pacers, which hurts because the the numbers basically nailed it. They basically nailed the number. I don't know. They basically nailed that number on the head. But unfortunately, he's not on the Indiana Pacers. He went to OKC. Now he's with the Clippers. That one's a bit tough. The team prediction, but you did get the spot, like, pretty spot on there. Steph Curry, the Warriors at number eight. He's still a top five player. Some would argue he's top six or seven, but so, I mean, it's a little low, but that's not a horrible prediction there either, but I wouldn't say it's too hard. I think eight or nine was as low as people would have predicted, so that's not too hard of a prediction, but still, that's not bad. Number seven, we got Blake Griffin of the Clippers. Uh, He went to the Pistons, and he's not a top seven player. Some people argue he's not even top 15. You'll see if he's top 15 on mine in a few episodes, maybe next episode. I don't know. But that's definitely too high for Blake Griffin, but at least he's a top 20 talent, I'd say. Then we got Kyrie Irving of the Cleveland Cavaliers. I know he went to Boston. No, he's on the net. So the team, no. Is he top six player? No. Uh, He's not even a top 10 player. Sorry, I'm rushing through this a little bit. I just want to get to my list. Don't want to waste you guys' time. Uh, But no, that's too high. Not even get the team right. Then eh, That's not a great prediction, but yeah. Five, Russell Westbrook. This was a fair prediction at the time, too. And he's still not bad because he's a bit overhated, but top five, no. Top ten, probably not either. And he's not on the Thunder anymore, uh, which was also tough to predict. He kind of seemed like a Thunder for life, but moving on. Number four, Kevin Durant of the Washington Wizards. Okay, they predicted he'd go to the Wizards, which hurts. hurts. I, I was actually thought that was possibility back then, too. The team prediction hurts. He went to the Warriors. Now he's on the Nets. Number four is pretty fair. I think he's at least top three when he's healthy. But four is not horrible, but you messed up the team there too. DeMarcus Cousins at number three. Oof. Um, yeah, he's not even top 25. He probably squeaks into top 50 lists. Squeaks in at this point. I mean... It was a fair prediction at the time. They predicted he'd still be on the Kings. No, 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 no. He's not. No, no, no. He went to the Pelicans. Then he went bounced over to the Warriors. Now he's on the Lakers. So, no, you went to, like, three different teams, kind of like DeAndre Jordan. Cousins, not even close to a top 25 player at this point. Never mind top three, but I see the, the, the reasoning behind it at the time. Number two really hurts. Andrew Wiggins. And this is not anyone's fault. This is just Andrew Wiggins. Anyone who put Andrew Wiggins at number two, I don't give you too much blame. It's a tough prediction. Yeah, you got the team right, the Timberwolves, but the part about it is he showed the potential. He just stopped working. It's not like, oh, oh, these guys were overhyping him. No, he could be the second best. I wouldn't say that, but he could be one of the better players in the league right now. Maybe not two, but one of the better ones. But instead, he decided to stop working, stop trying. That's not really the predictor's fault. I don't. I just give that grief to Andrew Wiggins. Number one, Anthony Davis of the Pelicans. He's not on the Pelicans anymore. Straight to the Lakers, but that's okay. It was a safe bet. Back then, Anthony Davis, number one by now. That was pretty much everyone's prediction. Not so, not so great. Uh, He's a top seven talent. Top seven player, I'd say. Probably a top five talent, honestly. Top six, top five talent, top seven player. But... Not number one. If you have him at number one, I hate those people who put him at like two or three. Maybe talent wise, but even that's a maybe. Like, all right, I'll give you that maybe talent wise, but as a player, no. So Anthony Davis at number one. 
Um, not horrible because he's one of the better players in the league, but he's not number one. So that's their list. I didn't want to focus too much on that. I just spent like 14 minutes. Okay. Um, if you skipped ahead of that, that's fine. Uh, but now here are my top 25 players in 2024. Now I wrote at first, okay, so it's August 1st, 2019. That's when I'm recording this. You can put me on record for that. It's Thursday, August 1st, 2019. And today I'm predicting the top 25 NBA players in the year of 2024. And I wrote, if you remember, Bleacher Report did one of these back in 2015. I already told you all that. So now I expect the same. I expect the same kind of like the Bleacher Report list. I hope I do a little better than Bleacher Report just did. That was, eh, that was not very good at all. It's hard to predict a game hours before it happens. Never mind the 25 best players in the NBA five years from now. And a better analogy, it's hard to predict who he, who's even going to win MVP next season. I know in five years I'm probably going to be laughing at this list, but who cares? Here's my list. So hopefully I can nail a few of these predictions. I added a little description with all of them just to make it a little more interesting, just so that way if my numbers are off, I can at least make a good prediction about the player. At number 25, we have RJ Hampton, not even in the NBA yet, and I'll explain. Listen, there were a lot of great players who didn't make the list that I want to wanted to put here. But I know that someone that's not in the NBA currently will be in the top 25 NBA players in five years. So I'll go with RJ Hampton. I'm a big Scotty Lewis fan. Scotty Lewis, huge, huge fan. I don't think he's the best player in the draft class, but I'm a huge Scotty Lewis fan. I have been since he was in high school. So if you want to, you know, you want to talk to a Scotty Lewis fan, talk to me. And I haven't done much scouting on this year upcoming year's draft class, but I'll go with RJ Hampton. He will, be one, he will be the only one to make this list that's not currently in the NBA, but I'm sure maybe one or two more players that aren't in the league right now will make this list, but it's really hard to tell. Maybe, you know, one or two players. And if it's not RJ Hampton here, I'm not shocked. You know, maybe if Hampton's like, if Hampton totally busts, that would be really embarrassing, but at least if he's a solid player, I, do I really expect him to make this list? Yes, because I predicted it, but I, I just expect someone from this 2020 draft class to make it. And maybe from the 2021 one as well. Just someone, you know, whether it's RJ Hampton or not, but I'll go with Hampton. Because I like his game, but still. Not, you know, I have to do more scouting, but anyway. Number 24, we got Steph Curry. I wrote, now Curry will be 35 by this point, but I think Curry's got a pretty good system going for him that should keep him in the top 25 in five years, especially with this jump shot. That's a tool that may help Curry stay an all-star talent for many years to come. When you have that type of jump shot, I mean, Curry was someone who I originally had outside the top 25, and then I messed up the rankings a little bit. I was missing a player, so I slid Curry in here at 24. Because the more and more I think about it, yeah, Curry's going to make it. My prediction, just because even though he's going to be 35 at that point, he's a very crafty player. He's got a lot of moves, and he has a great jump shot. And jump shots aren't something that just go away with age. Look at Kyle Korver. I mean, he's still one of the better shooters in the league, even at his age. And I don't think Curry will be as good as a shooter then as he will as he is right now, but he'll still be one of the better shooters in the league. And I still think he'll be a reliable 35-year-old point guard. He'll definitely be on the decline because right now he's a top 5-7 talent in the league. Now he'll be at 24. So he obviously is declining, but he's still one of the better players in the league. Number 23, we got D'Angelo Russell. I wrote, I've always believed in Russell and his potential, and he finally broke out this past season. I want to put him a little higher, but there are a lot of good players here, and I feel like D'Lo was in a low-pressure situation where he could kind of do his own thing. I wonder if he'll still be in that spot in five years. 
When I look at D'Lo again, I love the kid. I thought he has a lot of potential. But my problem with it was with Brooklyn, though, you were in a low-pressure situation where it was just like, we've got nothing to lose. You can do what you want. Now, all of a sudden, now he's playing for the Warriors where he's got a, you know, he's not the star player on the team. He's got to try to play with Steph Curry. This team's still trying to go after a title. They're not looking at serious title contenders, but it's in their blood. There is something to lose for the Warriors here. They got a streak going, so I wonder how that's going to hold up, and especially over the next five years. I think he'll, you know, mold into that role, but he'll still be a top 25 talent, in my opinion. Number 22, we got Zach Levine. I wrote, Zach Levine continued to take a step in the right direction this season with another big leap in his development and another underrated season. The big problem with Levine is injuries, and if there's one reason he's not in this list on this list in five years, I think it will be injuries. But Levine has a very good work ethic and has fought through injuries before, but we'll just have to see what happens. Zach Levine, again, I, I just love the kid. I think he's got a lot of potential. He's got an incredible work ethic. He has came back from injuries before, but that's my problem. Near injury prone, yeah, if you come back from an injury once – doesn't mean you're going to do it again. Once you hit, like, a second injury and a third injury, they catch up to you. Like, one injury is hard enough to get past. Once you get that second big injury, that third, they start to catch up to you. It's just mentally exhausting. Just come back and then be like, is this just going to happen again to me? But Zach Levine has an incredible work ethic that's going to help him push through these injuries and help him become a better player when he's not hurt. Then at number 21, we got James Harden. I wrote, in five years, I'm guessing James Harden isn't doing what he's done these past two seasons, but I still think he'll hold up his own in the top 25. His workload has been a ton these past two seasons, but the upside of acquiring Russell Westbrook is it should help Harden in the long run. Again, Harden won't be a top seven player in five years like he is now, but I still think he makes the top 25 cut. It's hard because Harden, I think he'll be 34 by the time 2024 rolls around, but I mean, Curry, I still have making this list. I have Durant, I'll admit, just missing this list at 35 years old. James Harden at 34, and I know his workload's been a lot. I think without Russell Westbrook, he might not even make this list. Like, he may be still, but with Russell Westbrook, the long term is James Harden's going to be better in 2024. And I don't know how much that matters. You know, maybe, you know, the Rockets will ship him out of there anyway, so it doesn't even matter to them, but... Or maybe he'll still be there, but he'll be bad anyway. I doubt it. I still think he'll be a good player. But we'll, we'll have to see. Time will have to tell. Then at number 20, we got Jaron Jackson Jr. I wrote, I really like Jaron Jackson Jr. And I think he'll be a top 20 play, player by 2024. It's really hard to predict a team's roster every even a year from now, but his teammate John Morant is on this list as well, and I think both will stay still be on the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies are good at keeping those players. Like, they're a low-market team, you know, but they, they're still good at keeping those players and, you know, liking the system and staying engaged, and I think they're going to have great chemistry as well. I think they're going to be one of the young dynamic duos by 2024, even by next season. Like, they're going to be great duo I think Jackson will only be 24 at this time so I can't put him much higher but if he's not on this list by 2024 I don't think he'll be too far but hopefully he can recover from his current injury and stay relatively healthy for the next five years I think he'll be on the Grizzlies with John Moran I think the two will have great chemistry I think Jared Jackson Jr. will be one of the best two-way players in the league by 2024 and again if he's not on the list by 2024 by 2025 or 2026 he should be there unless this injury that he just got ruins his career 
sure, you know, if he gets another one, that happens. Other than that, I think he'll be he'll be on here by, you know, if not 2024, maybe 2025 or 2026. All right, so next on our list at number 19, we have DeAndre Ayton. I wrote, Ayton had a very underrated rookie season in Phoenix. Ayton could improve in areas like shooting, passing, and on the defensive end of the ball. But he's already turned himself into one of the league's best rebounders and paint scorers in the league. That doesn't make sense. But I can't even begin to imagine how much better he'll be in five years. But I do wonder if he'll ever be on a relevant playoff team. Now, I think I put Aiden a little lower than I meant to because I meant to put him over Trey Young. So maybe I meant Trey Young at 19 or DeAndre Aiden at 17. But nonetheless, I think they'll both that's not a huge difference. And who knows, probably if I put Aiden at 17 and Young at 19, Young will end up being better anyway. And at number 18, I have Carl Anthony Towns. So putting Aiton over Towns, I don't know. That would just be, yeah, maybe I could bump Towns up a little bit, but I'll explain in a minute. I just think Aiton had a very underrated season. And I thought, you know what? How, you know, bland is that? Doncic will end up having the best career, and then Young, and then Aiton, like in the rookie, rookie of the year order. So I want to mix things up a little, but. We'll see. We'll see what happens. But I think Aiton will definitely be a top 25 player. I just don't know if he'll ever be on a relevant playoff team. That's my problem. Then at number 18, we have Carl Anthony Towns. I wrote, this will be right in the middle of Towns' prime. And Towns has the talent, especially on offense, to be higher on this list. But his poor mentality has hurt him and drawn up questions on whether or not he'll ever be able to lead to a team to the playoffs. The talent's there, but I wonder if he'll ever be a winner. And I just think the winning's a big thing in today's NBA when it comes to ranking players. Now, I, you know, take just a little emphasis off of it, a little less than most people, but I know most people that would be ranking it are, you know, I still factor in winning a lot. Like, you can be a great talent, but if you can't lead that team, it's going to hurt you. Like, Anthony Davis is, you know, arguably a top three, four talent in the league, but he's like the seventh best player, sometimes eighth, which I think is a little, you know, odd, but seventh best player just because he can't lead a team, you know, so that's the problem, currently the town, so it's the poor mentality, and I don't think the T, you know, the T-Wolves are in cap jail, they just don't have that, you know, future star that could maybe make Carl the Towns the second option, and I'm not sure if we'll ever leave either, I don't know. Then at number 17, we have Trey Young, again, him and DeAndre, and I don't know, between the three, Aiton, Towns, and Young, it's kind of interchangeable. But anyway, I wrote, I really like Trey Young's rookie season. And although he got off to a bit of a slow start, he bounced back very well and finished off the season. He also gained 12 to 15 pounds of muscle this offseason. He's been working hard, which is great. But, but I still think Young is a little tough to rank. Things got really hard to rank around here. And I want to see how he does in the second season. And I want to see him in more high-pressure situations before I put him too much higher. But I wouldn't be surprised if he's better than 19 in five seasons. So, see, I did mean to rank him at 19. Um, my bad. I guess... I, yeah, I guess what I'll do is just switch Young and Aiden. Just to... Why not? So, yeah, they get switched. I guess what I'm going to do is put Young at 19, Aiden at... 18 and Carl and Towns at 17. And that's what I'll do. Okay. So Young, just to me, I think I really like him, but I want to see more high pressure situations. I want a little more data, I guess is what you could say. Then at number 16, we have Zion Williamson. 
I wrote, listen, I, I know right now in 2019 there's a lot of hype around Zion, and I think he'll be a great all-star player while maybe having one or two seasons up there in the MVP race, but I don't think he'll be able to dominate on the posts like he did in college as easily. But most of all, injuries. Zion is an injury-prone player, especially with the amount of weight that he has to carry for an 82-game season. And I wrote a little note to my 2024 self. Hopefully there's less regular season games in 2024. I've explained already why I just hate the amount of games that there are. And with the amount of dunks he takes, he's just bounced bound to land awkwardly at least one of these times. Injuries are really going to hurt Zion's ranking, but he'll still be one of the better talents in the league when healthy. So 16, you know, when he's healthy, he could arguably be, you know, top 12 by then. I mean, he could even maybe be top 10, maybe, I don't know. It's just hard to rank. I do have a rookie in the top 10. You'll just have to find out who it is. Then at number 15, I have Kyrie Irving. I wrote five years from now, Kyrie will probably lose be starting to decline but with that being said he's only he he only will be 31 years old and he'll still be going strong I think he'll definitely lose a step in five years and slide a few spots down most people's list but I still think Kyrie will be an elite talent in the NBA he'll only be 31 years old 31 years old is usually right past your talent but when you're a guy like Kyrie Irving you're still going to be a very good player now I I have him right outside the top 10 right now I'll just say, I don't want to give away too many hints for this list, but I guess you guys get a few sneak peeks for staying this long and listening to the podcast. So, But I think he'll definitely drop down a few spots. I think there's a lot of young talent ready to move up on this list by 2024, and I think Kyrie Irving is going to lose a step, be a little worse, but he'll still be slide into the top 15 there. Then at number 14, we have Devin Booker. I wrote, Booker has a really really has a bright future, especially as a scorer. In 2024, Booker should be right in the middle of his prime and could very well be just a little less of what James Harden has done these past two seasons. But if I'm going to hold winning against Towns, I'm doing the same against Booker. His teammates in Phoenix don't like him. He's just simply not a team player. Booker will always be an all-star talent, but he'll never be labeled a winner. Maybe in 2024, he goes out and wins a championship. He requests a trade from Phoenix, goes to a contender, wins a championship, and I look like a fool. But I don't think he's ever going to be labeled a winner. He'll always be a great talent, but he'll never, ever be a team player, someone liked around the league. I think players you know, don't have a lot of respect for Devin Booker. You know, not... You know, I wouldn't say there's a ton of negative, you know, disrespect, I guess what you could say. But I think the winning, if I'm going to hold against Towns, doing the same against Booker. Then at number 13, we have Donovan Mitchell. Someone told me I was sleeping on Donovan Mitchell for putting him at 13. I'd have to disagree. I wrote, despite having a bit of a sophomore slump, Mitchell is still very young and still arguably had an all-star caliber year. He still had a good year sophomore slump but anyway Mitchell had great athleticism along with a developing jumper and he has a very good Utah Jazz team that seems to have some pieces that should help Mitchell for the future I do think some people tend to overrate Mitchell a little sometimes then again some people sleep on him but nonetheless he slides into the top 15 for me someone told me maybe he should be top 10 maybe he'll end up proving he's top 10 but in my eyes 13 is a good spot then number 12, I have John Morant. 
I wrote, I think John Moran has the tools to be a great player in the future. Now, he hasn't played a game in the NBA yet, but the odds of him busting are very low, and the odds of him becoming one of the better point guards for years to come are pretty high. I still think he'll, he'll be on the Grizzlies, who will have built him a solid team, which really helps. And he'll create a dynamic duel with Jaron Jackson Jr., who already who also made my list. So that'll be like a young, dynamic duo. You already have two top 20 players at like ages 23 and like 24 or something. I think right now, Jaron Jackson Jr., I think is like one year younger than John Morant, and he's got one more year of experience. But they're already going to be one of the better duos in the league at such a young age. And they just clicked from the start. You know, they're just really good friends from the start, too. So I look at that as well. Then at number 11, I've got De'Aaron Fox. I wrote, Fox will be 26 by this time, which means it should it should be the start of his prime. I'm not sure what the Kings will look like in five years or any team will, will look like, but who knows? Maybe Fox isn't on the Kings in five years. But nonetheless, I think Fox should showed a great leap in his development this year, and he showed he has a great future with all – an all-around very solid game. I also think Fox and Morant's play styles are somewhat similar, and since they're so close on my list, I predict five years from now, De'Aaron Fox versus John Morant debates will be a trend. I really want to make some predictions now because you don't know how good it is to nail a prediction, especially five years ahead of time. So I, I'll just tell you right now, I'm going to say it at the end of the podcast too. I'm so eager to find out how this list actually ends up turning out. If I can just nail any predictions that'll like go down in history, it's just a great prediction. That's what I want to do. Just make a ton of predictions. Some of them are gonna be false, but I'm gonna make some great predictions as well. We'll see if that ends actually ends up happening. But now we go over to the top ten. And at number ten, arguably the boldest one on here. RJ Barrett. Let me explain. Listen, between Barrett, Morant, and Williamson. Take your pick on who the best is in 2024. It will be interesting to see if New York, the New York Knicks can actually build around Barrett or whether or not he'll actually want to stay. But I think Barrett will still be one of the league's more premier talents. His season at Duke was somewhat overshadowed by star Zion Williamson. And now he really gets to shine the NBA. It is a little bold to put him in the top 10 considering he's never played a game in his in the NBA, but you've got to go bold with these lists, and this is very bold. It is. It might be the boldest thing on this list. Maybe a few guys that I'm coming up on this stretch. Like This stretch is like bold alley. Uh, not the bowling alley, it's the bowling alley. Like 10 through, like 10 through 7 is like pretty bold. Uh, so, you know, get the popcorn out. I know you probably already did because it's very interesting, but this is the time to get the popcorn. Because at number 9, we've got Jason Tatum. I wrote, maybe a little biased considering I'm a Celtics fan, but the sky's the limit for Jason Tatum. Despite having a rough season in 2019, you could blame some of the guys on some of that on guys like Kyrie Irving. But nonetheless, Tatum will have to step it up a bit. But with that being said, I think he'll be a top 10 player at 2024. And if he's not, I think he'll at least be an all-star. It is a little bold. If he doesn't fit with Kemba Walker, I think there's going to be some problems. And if he... That sounded so Boston. He's going to be some problems. But anyway, um, if he doesn't fit with Kemba Walker, I don't really think he might, he'll be top 10 anymore. I still think there's a chance. But the guy just has so much potential, especially on the offensive end. I would like to start, you know, too many long twos last season as well. It wasn't all Kyrie. Some of it was him. Too many long two-pointers. He was working out with Kobe Bryant. I'd like to see Jason Tatum take it to the rack a little more, drive into that contact. 
a little less uh, long twos, a little more drive to the hoop, and maybe a few more threes along with that as well. I don't know, but something, because this guy's got potential. Then at number eight, we've got Kristaps Porzingis. I wrote, this is a little bold considering Porzingis hasn't played a game with the Mavericks yet, and he's coming off a devastating injury, but many people, including myself, believe he'll be a great fit in Dallas and he'll recover well from his injury, especially considering he's given a lot of time and patience from New York and Dallas to ease his way back into things. Very, very true. I think, you know, him and Luka, the odds of that duo not working are probably 8%. I, there's obviously a chance, and I don't think it's very slim, but it's pretty slim. Uh, I just I think there's just going to be chemistry there. I think they've had time to practice. You know, they didn't have to walk in right away. You know, Chris Stapps didn't walk in right away after the trade deadline and wasn't forced into that situation. He had time to not only recover from his injury, but work his way, ease his way into Dallas, ease his way into that system with Luka Doncic. A lot of pick and roll. I think they're going to be one of the best duos in the game. Luca is on this list, uh, as most of you already expected. Then number seven, we have Ben Simmons. I wrote, I know here in 2019, a lot of people overhate on Ben Simmons for the fact that he doesn't have a jump shot, but he still, but he still been an all-star and a top 25 player in my eyes without one. Although I think he his jump shot's okay, it just needs the confidence to start shooting them. He just needs the confidence to start shooting them. Not only do I predict Ben Simmons will have at least a somewhat reliable jumper in 2024, but he'll be smack dab in the middle of his prime and love one of the game's best players alongside him at Joel Embiid. I know it's bold, especially the jump shot part, jump shot part but you've got to trust the process. The jump shot part isn't as bold to me. I, I just think it's a confidence thing. If Ben Simmons shot threes on a normal, I think he'd be a normal three-point shooter at best. I don't think he'd be anything special. But he could be a solid shooter. It's just a confidence thing. When he came into the league, he wasn't a very good shooter. And he, you know, tried it out a little bit, and he failed. And then people started getting on him in the social media platforms, and he started getting embarrassed. And then he's afraid to shoot them. And he's got to shoot a shot. I mean, I think he's gaining confidence. But again, here's the thing with it. You know, you see these videos of him shooting in these pickup games. It's pickup. And I know he is in front of a camera, but I'm sure he's got some cameraman doing it. It's like, if I miss, cut it out. If I make it, we'll, we'll send, you know, we'll put it on social media, something like that. So, you know, that's great that he's shooting those jump shots in a pickup game, and I think it shows something. But until he does it in the NBA games, I'm just not sold. But I do think by 2024 he'll have at least somewhat of a reliable jumper. Then at number six, we've got Anthony Davis. I wrote, when it came to this top six, things got really tough. Anthony Davis will be 30 in 2024, not too old. I think Davis will have a great top five player case, maybe even a solid top three player case, but I think he'll come at in at six, although it's close. He's currently on the Lakers, but LeBron either will be retired or want nearly to buy or won't nearly be the same player he is today in 2024. So it will be interesting to see if he stays where and where where he's ranked, but I think he's going to be at least top eight by 2024. Still one of the league's best talents. It'll be tough to see what Anthony, like, I, I don't know, we signed more of a, long, a shorter-term deal with the Lakers just because he didn't, just in case LeBron leaves, you know, he might want to leave as well. I don't know. 
Uh, I think he's always had interest in the Laker organization, but LeBron really is what sucked him in there. But I still think he'll at least be a top eight talent. I think he'll have a great five, you know, top five player case. Top three maybe a bit of a stretch, but I still think he'll have somewhat of a case, and maybe a few people think he's top three. But we'll have to see. Then number five, we have Nikola Jokic. One of the longer descriptions on here. Not too long, but still. Now, here's my prediction for Jokic in 2024. First of all, we all know he'll be, 2020, uh, he'll be 27 in 2024, which is smack in the middle of his prime. And I do think in, by 2024, he, he'll either have an MVP or at least he'll come very, very close. But he won't have a title, even with a solid team. Now, not everyone will end up throwing all the blame at Jokic, and some people will say that they were just one piece away from being over the hump. But with that being said, although in 2019, I believe Embiid over Jokic, I wouldn't be surprised if Jokic is better than Embiid. But I think Embiid has a better shot at a title, which could set them apart. Then again, I'm not sold Embiid will win a title by 2024 either. And who knows if he doesn't, maybe that hurts his case more than it hurts Jokic's. Especially considering Embiid will have Simmons, who I predicted will be the seventh best player in the league. While Jokic won't even have a top 25 talent. At least that's what I predicted. I guess we'll have to wait and see what happens. So I basically started talking about how Jokic not winning a title will hurt him, but then maybe he'll flip on Embiid. Like, you just don't know. And then at number four, I have Joel Embiid. Between him and Jokic, it could really go anyway. I wrote, I did most of the explaining I need to do with Jokic, but I really like Embiid's game in future. He'll only be 2020, uh, he'll only, like, so just 2020 something. He'll only be 29 in 2024, which is still a really which is still a really prime year in the NBA. And it's really a prime year in the NBA standards. And I think him and Ben Simmons will be one of, if not the league's most dynamic duo in Philly. I'm not sure how they will do chemistry-wise. I think they'll have solid chemistry because they played together so long. Uh, chemistry-wise, I don't think they'll have the best chemistry. But, you know, talent-wise, if you throw in that too, they might just be the best. Then at number three, I've got Luka Doncic. I wrote, now I'm a huge fan of Luka Doncic in his game. He may not be a great defender or very athletic, but he's a great shooter, slasher, and he's a magnificent passer. And most of all, he's very clutch and not afraid of the big moment. And did I mention his maturity? Now, he'll only be 24 in 2024, which made me think about putting him this high, like question myself. But then I remembered he'll hopefully still be in Dallas with one of the league's best in Chris Stapps, or Luca plays like he and Luca plays like he's much older than his age, which with his combination of maturity, fearlessness, leadership, etc. I love Luca Doncic. I really do. I do think he could one day be looked at as the mini LeBron James without the athleticism. Right now, he looks like that, and I think he will go down. I think he's going to win one or two titles at least. I just think he's a guy who wants to win. He can lead a team. He'll have Kristaps Porzingis. I think they're both going to be in Dallas for a while, and I really do think there, there's a lot of potential there with that Dallas team if that core stays together and ends up working out. And I just think Luka Doncic is someone who can really lead a team really well. I love the maturity, the fearlessness, the clutch, all of that. And again, not a great defender, not very athletic, but he does show signs of being somewhat of a mini LeBron. I'm not saying he'll ever be LeBron's status, but I think he'll go down as one of the better players to ever play. Like Number three in 2024. That's very impressive. At 24 years old. Then at number two, we've got Kawhi Leonard. Maybe a little bold, but here's what I wrote. Now Kawhi will be in his pr- 
will be 32 by 2024, but in 2019, look at it. Most of the league's best players are right around 32, maybe a little younger, but still, even look at LeBron. 32 isn't really anyone's prime years, but I think Kawhi will still be able to play at a very high level by 2024. And I think his ability to win will also gain respect from a lot of people, creating what some of you could say a little bit of bias. But I still think he'll be the second best player in the NBA behind Giannis Antetokounmpo takes our number one spot. I wrote, yep, Giannis takes the number one spot, as I just said. I'm sure most of you saw this coming, and I know it's the bland answer, but believe me, I think it's the right one. Believe me. I just said that again now. Giannis is no lock to be number one, just because you never know in any sport, especially the NBA. Giannis is already winning MVPs at 24 years old, and I think he might just be even better at 29 in the year 2024, which is pretty scary to think about, actually. And I just think Giannis is the consensus answer. Most people think LeBron's the best player still in the world, including myself. Some people think it's Kawhi or KD, but most people think the next one to really take over the number one spot and lock it up is Giannis. And nothing is guaranteed because you never know if there's an injury, the guy just declines, or someone comes out of nowhere. You just never know. I don't even know who's going to be MVP in a year. I just said that early in the podcast. Never mind five years, but I think the consensus answer would be Giannis Antetokounmpo, and I'm going to go with the consensus answer. So, I wrote, okay, I'll just say it. Okay, so that was, that list was very, very difficult to make. It was. I'll tell you that much. That was, that took me a while, and it was just like, should I put this guy here, here, here? I'll read off the list one more time in a minute without all the descriptions, just for you guys. I knew there would be some players I missed that will end up making the cut, and there will be some players making the cut that shouldn't even be in the top 50. A few honorable mentions were guys like Kevin Durant, Pascal Siakam, even guys like Bradley Beal and Victor Oladipo, and many more. I doubt this list will be anything close to perfect, but I am excited to see how it turns out in five years and if I can pull off some impressive predictions. I hope it is better than uh, What's-His-Face, the guy who did a Bleacher Report. I hope it is better than that, but I'll read it for all for you guys one more time. I'm going to save this in like a Google Drive. Uh, but if you guys want to keep this on tap for five years ahead, or just for reference, whatever, I hope you guys are still listening in five years. Hopefully in five years, this podcast will be much bigger than it is now, and then you guys can say, you actually heard the episode that you were, I originally said this. So again, number 25, I got RJ Hampton. Number 24, I got Steph Curry. Number 23, I've got D'Angelo Russell. 22, Zach Levine. 21, James Harden. 20, Jaron Jackson Jr. 19, DeAndre Ayton. Uh, well, I fixed it. 19, Trey Young. 18, DeAndre Ayton. 17, Carl Anthony Towns. 16, Zion Williamson. 15, Kyrie Irving. 14, Devin Booker. 13, Donovan Mitchell. 12, John Morant. 11, De'Aaron Fox. 10, RJ Barrett. 9, Jason Tatum. 8, Kristaps Porzingis. 7, Ben Simmons. 6, Anthony Davis. 5, Nikola Jokic. 4, Joel Embiid. 3, Luka Doncic. 2, Kawhi Leonard. And 1, Giannis Antetokounmpo. So that is my list. And um, I hope you guys enjoyed. Uh, Today was a pretty long episode. 
Uh, we have some catching up to do tomorrow. I hope maybe I can get to the NFL top 100 players list, mo- mostly focused on the top 10, some changes I made. I can't guarantee that one. I don't know if it will be kind of irrelevant by then. I hope to get to the Patriots training camp. We've heard some news about that. We'll get one more day of training camp in tomorrow, then I'll be able to discuss it. A lot to get to about that. And I'm sure there'll be some more news I'm going to get to. Something will pop up because that's just sports. It's always a lot of activity. So we'll have to see what's in store tomorrow. Remember to go follow me on Instagram at After the Buzzer Sports Talk. All lowercase, no spaces for podcast uh, alerts and other cool things, collabs, whatnot. Again, that's at After the Buzzer Sports Talk. All lowercase, no spaces on Instagram. Also, go call in the Anchor mobile app or through Safari, typing in After the Buzzer Sports Talk by Aiden Mayer on Anchor. Uh, and you'll be able to send in a voice message, any questions you have for me, anything you disagreed with that I was talking about, anything you just want to talk about. That's cool. Uh, Billy, I don't know what happened to Billy. Uh, I don't know if he still listens. Yeah, he was kind of the OG caller. We had a few guys call in. You know, once or twice, but Billy was really the one. You know, he had, he had about like 10 calls and he called in and we got into some arguments. We got into some things we agreed with. I hope he comes back. Billy, I always remember Billy, but uh, I don't know. I don't know if he's uh, ever going to call in again. Hopefully one day he will. Uh, but maybe you guys can be the next Billy for me. Uh, so yeah, thank you guys for listening and I hope to see you next time. Thank you.